results aren't going your way, it's easy to kind of like get on each other. A difference in our style, but it wasn't a difference as to who we are or what our identity as a team Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. Emer and Eilish star in two new videos to discuss the advice that they wish they could give their younger selves, the importance of being kind to yourself in the age of social media and what they've learned from each other. Delighted to be joined by both of them now. Eilish, I might start with you. Um, can you give us a sneak preview of what your advice to your younger self might be? Um, well, it's pretty much just not be so hard on myself because um, I guess as athletes, it's probably something that we do anyway. We are pretty hard on ourselves in general, but I think, um, you know, struggling with, you know, not been selected in my younger years of sport and, you know, been super hard on myself for not doing that and, and you know, achieving as best I could, I think. Just been a bit kinder and having a bit more patience in terms of, um, you know, towards myself and um, and that side of things. And even even now, sometimes I need that, um, that advice, you know, after taking up AFL in the past couple of years, um, I still need that advice to be kind and patient on myself. How does that tally with then the, the I, I presume, the real determination to constantly get better and to try and push yourself? Yeah, I guess I've always had that um, that drive to probably because I know the, the capabilities are there and, and sometimes I can fall into the lazy category. <laughs> um, so I think having that drive and that will to be better and, and knowing that I can be better. I've always had Emer to look up to and strive for better things. So um, I've been quite lucky to have her, you know, um, throughout my entire career I've always had someone to look up to and she, she's always been you know a superstar in her age category and and beyond so um you know I've been quite lucky to have someone to to strive to be better towards and um yeah just been lucky to have that drive. Emer what was your what if you could tap yourself on the shoulder first off what age would you tap yourself on the shoulder that you think would be the kind of the most important to go back to and say okay this is a little bit that's going to be very useful to you if you just bear this in mind over the next while God, I think it was those teenage years. Um, they're a nightmare. Like I see it every day in school. Um, and I think I was constantly comparing myself to other people and wanting to be other people, wanting to be the ones that were, you know, going out, wanting to be the ones that were doing this and the other. And I'm like, we weren't, we weren't doing those kind of things. And I was still playing football and I was delighted that I was, but I always wanted more and I compared myself to others and um, wanted to be more like other people instead of actually just being happy with what I am. And, I spoke about it in the Tackle Your Feelings video, but it's more mom sticking to her morals more than me sticking to my morals. I'd say if I had my way, I probably wouldn't be on this path. Um, she kept us on the straight and narrow and that was mainly through sport. And I was going to say how, because that's the bit of information yeah. that like every every parent listening in, their ears are pricking up going, uh, oh, okay, how, how does that work? What did, what did your mom do? It was sport. It was always used as the um, kind of the pro and con of everything. You know, if you didn't, do well enough in an exam, you were going to probably get get punished by, you know, not going to a game or not going to a training session. Or um, when people were going out to the cinema on a Friday night, we were being chauffeured to a camogie training or a football training. And if it wasn't camogie and football, she signed us up to athletics. And then when athletics was on off season, it was joining the volleyball team and soccer team over in Connolly Celtic. We honestly, if there was, I don't think there was a day of the week free. Um, no matter what sport we did and it was keeping us in sport and keeping us dedicated to that that our mind was solely focused on being good athletes um, as opposed to you know going out or um, getting up to mischief or getting up to trouble So, so that obviously worked Emer. like do you think it would have worked if you weren't good sports people and actually proficient and, and knew that you guys could probably Yeah what if you were crap is that what you're asking? Yeah. <laughs> what if you weren't two superstars? He, he talks about he how was. I was <laughs> 
I used to just brought along to cool camps because Ailish wanted to go. She was always this 41 and I was the one who wanted to be doing my hair and playing with Barbies and all that stuff. I was forced along and it just kind of, I suppose if you throw enough at the wall, it's going to stick. And it was me. I, I had to go along and we were thrown into enough sports. And like I always say how I've spoken before about this, how the variety of sports that we did allowed us to be where we are right now. And it was down to mom just filling every day, every, every day with a different sport. Or a different hobby. I, I I mean you're definitely the um perfect model for like a PhD long form study into playing different sports at different stages of your lives because you're both uh, excelling at different sports right now. So um Ailish, what do you put down your abilities to to cross sports down to? I certainly think it's like what Emer said, that the multiple sports that we played, even as like kids when we were just outside the back in the middle of the countryside where we live and like we literally would pick up everything and anything, if it was a stick, if it was a ball, whatever shape, size it was, we just literally picked it up and played it. And I think having that variety of sport and skill set um from, you know, such a young age was something that definitely um, you know, helped my skill set a whole a whole lot. And then obviously dragging Emer along, it helped her too. So um, yeah, and like ma'am signing us up to every single sport under the sun, whether that was athletics, basketball, volleyball, soccer, football, camogie, whatever we could get our hands on, even baseball, anything. It was kind of just whatever we could get our hands on, we played. And I think that was a massive thing for us to, you know, pick up different skill sets, understand different games and, you know, probably then excel and specialise once we got a little bit older and when it became too hard logistically to keep up all the sports. We have an older brother who's nine years older than us and he got two younger sisters. So he, we were just going outside kicking with him and he was so much older than us that like he used to belt the balls with us to try and make us catch them. So he, he has something to do with it as well. But like I think living in the countryside, does, for sure. having each other and not having much else to do, like we're, we're there's no one around us. There's, you can't walk anywhere. There's no footpaths. So we just had to entertain ourselves through like we honestly yeah, had paint like cans. And, yeah, paint cans and a plank of wood was our was our hurdles. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we had go-karts and rollerblades we used to race around the house and we literally had everything that we could to try and, you know, keep ourselves entertained and active. So where is the, the baseball stronghold in County Clare? <laughs> yeah. That was because our dad used to, he worked in America for years. So every time he used to come home, they used to bring us home something American. And he'd land home with a baseball bat and a mitt and a baseball and we'd, throw our hand at everything and anything, the amount of slitters that we would use and, and baseball that we lost in the fields in the countryside, we'd probably still find some now if we went looking, but um, I wouldn't say it's a stronghold, but, um, you know, we give it a go. Uh, Emer, you talked about um, seeing it in school. Like, it's obviously completely different now in terms of if you were kids, the chances are you'd be spending larger portions of your day on screens. Um, what, 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 like... How do we how do we somehow counteract the power, uh, the magnetic power of social media, which is this kind of very addictive thing that people spend time on? And then also it can be a great thing in terms of information sharing and discovery of the world. But it can also be pretty horrific. I suspect if you're a teenager who is in any way self-conscious, like there's just a there's just a violent viciousness to the content that's being posted. So what's your what's your understanding of how that's going at the moment, particularly for the, the kids that you're seeing on a day to day basis? Yeah, like I spoke about comparing myself to others um, back in back in my day, but it's so much harder now because you're not just comparing yourselves to the girls that are in your school, you're comparing yourselves to the world and it's, everything is so available at the click of a button. Um, but I think it's education and the main thing that we try and do, you know, on Cyber Safety Week where we, we get people to come in and have talks with them. 
it's just, I suppose, education around, you know, that this isn't real. As in, like, social media is a highlight reel of, of someone's life. And people don't put stuff up on the bad days. People don't put stuff up, um, you know, when they don't want to. So I suppose it's just educating them that this is the perfect life and that not everything is going to be perfect. It's hard. Like, we're all we're all on our phones 24-7, like myself included. And I suppose you just have to go back and take a step back and realise that um, not everything is posted up there and everything that is up there might not be true either. So it's education, but it is. Like you said, it's a tough place to be, but I suppose find something that you enjoy that can take your mind away from social media. For us, it probably would have been sport, and I still think... Um, sport as a huge part to play in that. Uh, do we do enough? Because like, education, right, you're talking about leaving it really to teachers, but ultimately that's not going to be enough. Like uh, you, you say, you're on your phone. I'm constantly on my phone. My kids are giving out to me about being on the phone the whole time. And I'm like, oh, you can't have screens. But like, it's, you know, complete hypocrisy because they will do what they see as opposed to what I tell them to do. Um, so uh, what, do the, what do we need to do? Like, do we need to have a massive public campaign where sporting organisations, media organisations, everybody's actually genuinely addressing this problem because, I mean, I, I think we probably haven't quite understood just how far-reaching the consequences are going to be. Yeah, I suppose we don't. We don't know the, the impact it's going to have on, on the younger generations. You know, we didn't get phones until later in life. But I suppose it's it's everything, though. Like, it's it's not just social media. It's that I want to calculate a, a test score. I use my calculator on my phone. I want to look up the weather, check my phone. It's just, it's it's so easily accessible at the moment. It's our, it's our everything. Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I honestly don't know how you do. I know in the past I've set screen time limits and you get a notification and then you actually just, you're made aware of just how long you spend on social media. I suppose maybe making yourself more aware um, and putting limits on your amount of time spent on your phone. But it's, it's so readily accessible and everything is so easily accessible. I think that's the hard part and I don't have the answers. And if you do, let me know. Ailish, can we talk a little bit about the AFLW? There's um, stories in the back of the papers today about uncertainty around when the season is going to start. Do you have any inkling or any sense of what the outcome of this is going to be? Not an idea, unfortunately, at the moment. We're still pretty much in the dark in terms of a start date um, contract. So literally while you've seen there's been a quite a bit of trade and movement and you know between the new clubs and stuff none of that's science sealed delivered that's only um it's only verbal agreements because we don't actually have a contract to go on so unfortunately we were told by the afl a couple of probably months at this stage that um probably early in this year that the season was predicted to change to um for an august start date which means pre-season start date in june um, but unfortunately, we haven't had any information beyond that. And we're currently still waiting to to hear the negotiations between the AFL Players Association and the, um, the AFL in terms of the contract bargaining agreement, which was which expired this season for us and for the men's. So, um, yeah, we're literally just waiting and seeing um, what happens. Everybody's in, in a sense of limbo at the moment then. And is your sense from kind of being down there that people who have got the Australia experience will, if it comes down to it, pick Australia over coming back and playing inter-county football or whatever whatever they're playing at home? Or do you think that uh, it, it might be a bit more of a split than that? I think it might have to come to that. I think um, there will have to be a decision made. And I think the girls that are out here currently giving it a crack, um, you know, may pursue a more longer term career in AFL because it is getting more and more professional each year that we that we go because um, 
they are looking towards getting this competition fully professional between five and six years. So I think with the time frame change and how that's going to affect playing Gaelic football when we go home and that side of things, it's going to make girls make the decision to either choose, you know, an amateur game back home or, you know, take the leap and, and go fully professional out here playing AFL. So I think, unfortunately, we've we've had a good ride for the past couple of years in terms of having the best of both worlds, been able to go back and play a championship and then come back out and play. But I think, um, yeah, as the competition grows and expands, and you know, the talent pool becomes bigger and bigger, it's going to be it's going to be a tougher decision um, for the Irish girls back home and, and, and also, the ones that are here too. Yeah, and like, exactly, and all the sort of people who've gone to Australia have also got the the proper sample of what life is like down there. Whereas those people yeah. who make the decision at home kind of are, are in a blissful sense of ignorance where they can, you know, stay at home and say, you know, the grass isn't always greener, whereas you've probably yeah. experienced just, just exactly how green it is. Yeah, exactly. Like the setup over here is, is amazing and it's exactly what you want Gaelic football to be back home and, you know, having seen both sides of the world and, and both sides of the games, they're very, very different. Like it, Gaelic football is not quite at the level and understandably because it's not professional, but, you know, it is... It, hard to go backwards when you're constantly going forwards in other code so um, yes it is extremely hard to go back to a different level when you know your own personal standards don't change Is this something that we could maybe learn from and embrace because it certainly seems as if the the men's game was always very suspicious of the best young talent being hoovered up by Australia and then some of them make it, some of them don't and there's this kind of like, oh, don't let them come over and take our best players. Whereas maybe the women's game can use this as an injection of, of, of players who go for a couple of years, have an incredible life experience and then come back and bring the learnings with them. Exactly. It's only going to be good for the game. And to be honest, it's actually a credit to the LGFA and the, you know, the Camogie Association for any of the girls who play Camogie too. You know, to produce the athletes that they've produced that were pretty much ready made to step into a semi-pro game um, straight off the bat, having no experience. So, like, it's an absolute credit to them. But I think the learnings that we'll take back from a professional setup, even, you know, getting a snippet of the men's side of things, you know, from within the club and and just experiencing the semi-professional, professional side of things when, you know, you, when you're within season, it's just, it's a whole other world. Like, you, you fly from game to game rather than get a five-hour bus trip. You know, it's, it's such a, a different experience and I think of course anything that we learn over here we're going to bring back home and expect standards to be better and I think that's the only way things are going to get better back home for women in sport whether that's you know rugby soccer football whatever that may be so I think girls are only going to bring home you know valuable experience and life experience and you know that that can only be a good thing it's ironic that um, rugby, which is a professional sport for the last 25 years, is uh, in Ireland still in that scenario that's very similar to the GEA, where most of the team who played for Ireland in the Six Nations all had to go back to work and do day jobs apart from the, the Sevens team. So in your view, at some point in the future, are we going to get to a point where the women's team in Ireland is, is fully contracted and there's enough strength and depth so that players aren't forced to go off and, and go back to work the week after big Six Nations games? Yeah, like I do think, I think there's been so many talks, so many conversations about it. <clears throat> and like Ayla said, if it's it's going that way in the next few years. Like, like I don't see it happening overnight. Um, I see lots of other unions models been taken into consideration, a lot of talks, a lot of discussions. This isn't going to be just made, you know, tomorrow. Um, but it, it has to go that way. If we're to compete with the likes of France and England, um, it's essentially a two-tier competition at the moment with with the Six Nations, that you have your France and England's. And even at that, England 
we're so far ahead of France the last day that it's it's scary. There, the gap that's there, there's almost three divisions now. Um, I think in the past I would have thought it was France and England up there themselves. And then the rest, and now it's almost <clears throat> France, sorry, England first, and France behind them still trying to catch up, and then the rest of us. And I think until we go professional, like you said, it's the depth of players that we need, the players training together in and out, that when, when players go away, when players get injured, that it's a seamless transition. And that's what it was with England when they lost players People go down injured, people, um, they were able to rotate their squad around an awful amount, this Six Nations. And it was like, it was seamless because they'd been so used to playing with each other day in, day out. It's their full-time jobs. And it's the recovery side of things. Like we also, even Max Tweet on the Monday after that game, I was after getting scanned on the Monday and I was back into work on the Tuesday on my knee. You know, it's the, the reality of it is you get more recovery, you get more re- rehab, you get more physio tension if you're a full-time athlete and you don't have to to go into work the next day. But it is, like Aoife tweeted a, a reality of everyone that plays rugby in Ireland if you if you aren't a student or if you if you aren't a sevens player. And um, I suppose it's just the reality that we've had to had to have for the last few years, but it can only benefit the women's game, whatever sport it is. What, like as Ayler said, whatever sport it is, professionalism will benefit us. It's, it's a vicious cycle as well. I, I, I presume being in work the full week before a game makes you more susceptible to injury on top of that. It, do you know what? There's pro, there pros and cons. Like I love going into work because it means you're not focusing on the match. You can literally just focus on the task in hand and whatever whatever you are, whatever you're teaching, whatever class you have at the time. And then you can switch on when you get into when you get into game mode because when you are in game mode, you know you're in on a Wednesday or a Thursday and it's it's meetings, it's tactics, it's footage, it's you know gyms, it's double day training sessions. So you're you are fully in. It's very intense when you are in there. So to actually be able to switch off and go back to work. It actually has positive positives and I really find that beneficial. So look, I, there's obviously benefits to to not to being fully pro and not having to go to work and getting off your feet, recovering, getting more rest, getting more sleep. But then with the switch off side of things, I feel like I'd be constantly thinking about rugby if I didn't have my job. So I like the mix at the moment. Um, it's just interesting to see what will happen in the future. Um, the whole move to professionalism, if it does take a number of years, it might be a little bit too late for you. Or is there a possibility that maybe you could take a career break if the game goes fully professional? Would would that still be something that's on your radar? Yeah, like every athlete dreams to be a professional athlete. Like Ailish is one of the lucky few in Ireland that gets to be a professional athlete. And it's something that as a, as a girl growing up, we could never have imagined. Um, yeah, like you said, I, I am coming, I am myself and Hannah are coming, Connor bringing up the age group of the age, age bracket of the group. We joke about that quite a lot, um, but look, I'll see. As long as I'm still enjoying my rugby, if I'm, if I still think I'm good enough to be playing rugby, like I'll see. I've, I've made no decisions around that, and um, hopefully, it happens sooner rather than later, so that I do have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, and uh, I guess over the, the next little while, then as well, there's pr- probably, uh, I guess, the conversation about how that um, gap actually closes and. Like beyond the professional point, Ema, what what would you take away from this year's Six Nations as I guess the thing that you can build on ahead of next year and and over the next couple of years? I think if you look at the season and the amount of games that we've played this year, that has been so, so valuable. Like myself as a player, I've played more games this year than I have ever. Um and that's because of the structure of the the way the AIL was structured, the way um, obviously, we had the World Cup qualifiers as well, but when the World Cup qualifiers were going on, there was the women's interpros. So there was a significant amount of games this season and we were released back to play to our clubs instead of training or doing camps for Ireland. So the, the experience you get is invaluable playing games and 
you can train and you can train and yes it's important to gel as a squad but it was it's also really important to get that match experience um and like I'm like Ailish, I'm like a lot of the girls I transferred over from another sport so I'm still learning um I haven't played since I was 12 13 14 I took it up at 23 so I'm still learning and I need those quality games and a lot of the times in the past I would have learned things or done things for the first time in an international game so to be able to do that in a club game and to do those experiences in a club game and the way they structured the AIL this year with the the two conferences so after Christmas they divided into a top four and a bottom four and that really improved the standard of the game after Christmas heading into the Six Nations so I really really enjoyed that All right, Emer Eilish thanks a million for your time this morning Cheers thanks so much No problem Thanks for having us. And Ailish Constantine there on the line uh, with Rugby Players Ireland, Zurich and the Zurich Foundation uh, talking about the Tackle Your Feelings Schools programme.